0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast, by guitarists for guitarists, and now your hosts, John Brown and
1: Al Levy.
2: Hello everyone, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and Al to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends. And we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S. And you can find AL at AL Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast. So please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a
1: share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. I'm A.L. Levy. And today, our guest is Wes Howe. He's been on the podcast before and he's also taught on Riff Hard for a month. He's also, in my opinion, one of the top three living metal guitar players in the game today. Dude is one of the most phenomenal guitar players, period, in the genre. You probably know about him because of his band Alluvial, he also has played for Devin Townsend, The Faceless, and a bunch of others. You can look at his Instagram if you want some idea of the kind of stuff he does, or you can go to riffhard.com and watch his lessons. Or or catch him on tour this spring of 2022. His band Alluvial is going on tour in the U.S. with Rivers of Nile, Fallujah, and Warforged between May 6th, starting in Brooklyn, all the way to June 5th, ending in Pittsburgh. It's a full U.S. tour, and that is quite the lineup. You should go. If you feel like going to see a show, go to that. You know, tickets are available wherever tickets are available. Enough of that. Let's do this. Wes Hauk, welcome back to the Riffard Podcast.
0: Hey, hey. How you guys doing? Hey, hey. Good. How are you? I'm all right, dude. I think the last time that we did this, it was when COVID was like a brand new <laughs> thing. You know, know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It was like April or May 2020. I was just thinking about how much has changed, and also, I just wanted to congratulate you too on like how far alluvial has come in that time
0: like yeah it's awesome oh thanks yeah i mean i think probably the last time we did this it was kind of a twinkle in everyone's eye and now we're uh, we're going out uh i guess which would be technically like our second tour first tour for i guess this version of the band that has vocals and everything like that so um yeah we're looking forward to it it's it's one of those like things where Like most things in my life, I kind of show up to the starting line kind of right as everything falls to shit, you know, so, (laughs) you know what I mean? Not to sit there and like make it sound like I'm feeling sorry for myself, but like right as we're uh, about to fucking go out and play music, like gas is $7 a gallon and fucking, you know. All that other shit, but whatever. It's $7 a gallon there. That's pretty cheap. (laughs) Not, well, not in Atlanta, but predominantly like in the Pacific Northwest and California. I think that's the the price right now.
1: Brown, I realize that over yonder where you're at, you guys have way more expensive gas, but $7 a gallon in the U.S. is... Insane.
2: Yeah. Well, it's insane here too. It's one pound seventy-seven
1: per liter. So it's four liters to a gallon. I was going to say, you know, we us Americans can't do math.
2: It's about twelve dollars a gallon at the moment.
1: So just for people in the future, <laughs> if there is a future, <laughs> if you know, yeah. this doesn't if. all end in a nuclear war next week. Right now, we're we're having this conversation in March of twenty twenty-two. So just for historical reference, because you know. Could be a nuclear war next week. So (laughs) (laughs) that would really get in the way of your tour. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I imagine that would probably put a stop to it. But it might. (laughs) It might. Hey, we still need entertainment even in times like that, you know. When I was in Iraq, they would have USO people come over like, you know, like doing kind of Basic sort of like bargain bin entertainment, like jokes and <laughs> shit like that. And there was this one time that they had Vince Vaughn over there in um, Oh wow, in okay. Fallujah. I didn't go to see it, but occasionally they would do shit like that. So maybe, maybe we could all go over there. Like we could, we can pack up our uh, our axe effects and go over there to the Ukraine <laughs> and play some
2: riffs, play some death metal. Part of me is kind of hoping for Steven Seagal in that under siege bit, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He'll save the world from the nukes
2: No, just more just entertainment If you heard him play guitar, he's actually pretty sick
0: Yeah, he's like a heavy old school Dumbles and expensive strats kind of guy From what I've seen, yeah Like the lawyer doctor strats, basically But like because he's a wealthy guy I think he has like a, a bunch of kind of unicorn guitars and shit Like I saw um, But he's a legit player yeah, I actually don't know. I've never really seen okay. any footage of him playing, but I know that there's
2: much worse. <laughs> that's, okay. the, that's the best thing to say. There
0: is much, much worse. Like
1: <laughs> what you were saying,
0: though, Wes. You were saying something about his collection. Yeah, he's one of those guys that has like a formidable vintage guitar collection. I saw an interview with Joe Bonamassa where he said he bought some strat or some Dumble from steven seagal and i was like ah oh, that's pretty fucking cool i guess you know what i mean it's interesting like in and of itself it's just cool yeah and i mean dude for what it's worth i guess if i had an income like that i would probably dabble in pretty expensive gear too you know what i mean like i'd probably be like yeah i have this and that dumble cuz that's I mean why not it's one of those weird experiences that not many people are going to get to have and i always think about the dudes who go on reverb and they see like the they see the dumble that's going for like 123 grand and they're like oh okay here's an affordable one <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't want this to sound weird but like tremonti you know he's been very fortunate in his career and i mean look, it's no secret that creed made a shit ton of money. You know, when you sell 40 million albums or more, there's money involved. I feel like if I had that kind of money, like I would have done what he did too. Like he has this ridiculous gear and guitar collection. That's just like, I I went to his house once and saw it and it was just like, this is so cool because You can tell that it's his passion that made the money and then he just put that money back into his passion. And so it's exactly what you would expect when like a true musician gets to that level. Dude, his fucking collection is is pretty amazing. It's it's pretty amazing. There's so much cool shit in there, And it's not just like the, I call it like the surgeon guitars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those guitars that they buy to put on their walls. Like he uses this stuff, but it, it's fucking cool. It's really fucking cool. It's inspiring. I love seeing it when people from the music community, guitar especially, do that well and then reinvest it in the guitar community. Yeah. I think it's fucking cool.
0: Has he been on the Riff Art Podcast? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. I think the blues lawyer or like, I guess there's a few different names for that that practice, that practice of like being a dude who is wealthy and you like play with cool guitars and kind of, I guess, cork sniffer guitars. There's not a whole (laughs) lot of dudes (laughs) who do that. There's I not a whole lot of like guitars. rich guitar player guys, and I mean, I'm not sitting here just referring to someone like like Mark or Bonamassa or whatever. Like like dudes who are financially self contained from music, who have like mus- like interests that are outside of that. Like you don't see like you don't see Joe Bonamassa with a fucking dirt bike collection. You know what I mean, <laughs> or something like. That. But I could be uh, wrong, though. I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe he's got a bunch of fucking
2: dirt bikes. Um, just I used to deliver vintage guitars like back in the-
1: that's right i remember that store yeah so
2: i used to work at, down denmark street it's pretty famous called timpan alley it's been there for years i had the chance to try a Dumble, actually an overdrive special um i thought it was garbage but apparently they're all very different but i used to deliver guitars that were like you know 59 less pulls with the burst intact So they'd go for like quarter of a million.
1: Didn't you deliver one to McCartney or something like that?
2: No, that was someone else in the shop. But yeah, that did happen.
1: I fucking love the Beatles maybe more than I should. And I don't get starstruck by very many people. Like, I just don't. But I feel like uh, Paul McCartney might be someone that I would get starstruck around.
2: Did uh, Did I tell you the story of when I was in LA a couple of years ago? I went to go and see this random... Band play. I can't even tell you who they are. They were a friend of Francesco. You probably know Francesco Al. Used to own Sphere Studios in LA. Oh, Sphere Studios, Francesco. Yeah, yeah. So I went to go watch his mate play at this bar. It was opposite Cantor's, you know, where uh, Guns and Roses was discovered. And there was about thirty five people in this bar watching this random band. And in one corner was. Um, Taylor Swift with her mates. And in the other corner eating dinner was Dave Grohl, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr. And it was very, very difficult not to get starstruck in that moment, you know? Um Yeah, yeah so I understand why you would have got starstruck. I mean, there's
1: some great Beatles songs there, isn't there? It's also the impact on the world. It's kind of like uh, whether or not you like the Beatles. I know a lot of people don't. Um, none of us here, none of our friends... Yeah, our whole world only exists because those dudes decided to do what they did. Like, uh, like it all goes back to them. It's very true. Um, I know. I know that there's like the blues and stuff, and there's Elvis and all that. But like rock and roll, like developing an attitude, growing hair long, like. Drugs, weirdness, (laughs) metal, like Helter Skelter, like the first metal song ever that predates Black Sabbath. Like basically if there were no Beatles, there's no us. So I kind of see it as like, also there's no rock and roll. Like the impact on the world that that had is an impact that we've never experienced in our lifetimes. Like we've seen stuff like Nirvana coming along and changing hair metal, but and that was a that's like a big deal in our world that that happened but like that is not even close to the the profound change that the beatles had on the entire the entire western world and culture so yeah it's like what do you say to that person besides so thank you yeah i guess
0: ask him how you can join the freemasons or the illuminati <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, sir. How do I proceed?
1: (laughs) I thought I'm already in it. (laughs) I have gotten a lot of uh, messages telling me that I'm in it because of my last name or like with the band name with Doth. There's some people, quite a few people who like think that they're reading into some messages that aren't there. And I've definitely gotten those. I've definitely gotten like uh, some... Interesting, interesting messages thinking that I'm in the Illuminati or some shit. And it's like, damn, maybe their emails are going to my spam or something. <laughs>
0: like,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I wish I'm not getting the memos.
0: No, I mean, I think that I think that all the stuff that you said about the Beatles is true. And to add to that, probably a lot of the traditions that are currently still being played out today with regard to like management booking agent and like the whole Mm -hmm. tiers of like the business and stuff like that probably comes from, I don't know, maybe not specifically them from music from that era though. You know what I mean? Like your traditional business setup that any like band and or artist has, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And I imagine like, I like conspiracies, you know what I mean? I think they're (laughs) kind of fun. Uh, I'm aware. (laughs) I'm a big fan. So like I've heard, I mean, he was obviously knighted by the Queen sometime in the 90s, you know what I mean? Sir Paul? Yeah, yeah. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot of people who would think that because of that, he might belong to some exclusive club full of lizards where they drink adrenochrome (laughs) and stuff like that. But if I had to guess... The is somewhere in the middle. Like, if he got pulled over by a cop, I'm sure the cop's going to, like, you know, he'd probably do some hand signal and the cop would leave him alone or whatever. Or he might just see his face and leave him alone. Fair enough. But, I mean, like, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Like, I imagine if you are Paul McCartney, there's conspiracy theories are probably a little bit fun, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah. Well, the, okay. So here's the thing, though. And I'm not saying that he's not a member of any, like, elite organizations or anything like that. But to me, it's like what came first, right? Like I think a lot of the conspiracy theorists say that people like Paul McCartney who ascend to those heights are like groomed for it or something like that. And I think that, well, when you achieve that level of success, there's, first of all, you there's a security risk. I mean, yeah. Just look at what happened to his bandmate. It's a security risk for you to exist in the normal world with the rest of us. Like, let alone that it's just fucking annoying probably that <laughs> everywhere you go, you're gonna shut down you're gonna shut down streets, you're gonna shut down stores. You literally, if you're at the level of the Beatles, there is nowhere, especially then, but still Paul McCartney showed up to like a target right now, that target would get mobbed. So People like him cannot exist in regular society, both because they will disrupt it completely and also because they might get shot. So there's very few people where they can just hang out and be humans. And so who is it that they can hang out with? They can hang out with other people who are in a similar sort of scenario who have, accomplished similar things or related to people who have accomplished similar things because those people aren't going to mob each other and they have this understanding that like hey we're on this island basically where we can't and i don't mean like an epstein island i mean like (laughs) we're basically on a metaphorical island where they literally can't have normal lives so who are they going to interact with? They're going to interact with other people who also can't have normal lives. And then the rest of us who are on the outside of that and will probably never be in it and don't really, you know, that's a whole other world. You know, people are going to get creative and make up all kinds of stuff. But true. to me, like the simplest solution, like I always feel like in most cases, the simplest answer is usually right. And at least to me, logically, that's kind of what makes sense is just look at how difficult life I don't mean like, oh, his life's so hard, he's worth $900 million, uh, boo-hoo. Well, I'm just saying how difficult it would be to have a normal kind of life in that position. It's like actually impossible. So to have any sort of social circle or whatever is going to have to be people in a similar position. And then the rest of us peasants just... (laughs) <laughs> you will know, we'll, we'll wonder what the hell they're doing when they're probably just having dinner and hanging out and watching movies, talking shit, whatever.
0: There's probably guys like him, and I guess probably for the most part, the rest of the Beatles, who got together and kind of just wrote some great songs by accident and it turned into this, you know, thing that was considerably bigger than them and they probably never wanted to have type of notoriety that would make life difficult to navigate like yeah. everything you just described. And then there's the motherfuckers who kind of like jump the gun on how famous they are. Like I was I was watching this I was watching this podcast with Andrew Schultz and he was talking about how um he's hilarious. How Prince Harry and Meghan Markle like came over here and they went to some kind of ritzy place in Santa Barbara where I mean you've been up to Santa Barbara like it's predominantly like rich Republicans, but they all wear like, like cowboy kind of clothes. And they're just (laughs) like, they're, it's like all of them are kind of like in the place that you just described, like, Hey, let's be rich, but like, let's just hang out and pretend that we're not rich. And I guess Meghan Markle and Prince Harry went to some fucking, you know, country club thing. And they asked for the place to be shut down for, you know, for (laughs) them to be in, in the vicinity. And I guess like, you know, all the rich people in Santa Barbara were like, yo, you guys aren't even the richest motherfuckers in Santa Barbara. Like, get out of here, you know? like, And, and that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> with conspiracy and, and with any of this stuff, people in general just kind of like to pontificate about shit that they think is powerful. You know what I mean? And some of it yeah. is super fun, and then some of it you're like, ah, that's probably bullshit. But, you know, with Sir Paul... I imagine he's. I, be, I imagine he's been in some crazy rooms, and probably at one time or another, probably did some crazy drugs. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: but he admits. He
0: admits to that. I'm not saying he's not admitted to it. I'm just saying that there's probably some kind. Like there's probably drugs that he's done we've never heard of. Like only yeah, like only people like him can really have access to. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. the
1: kind in that movie, Limitless.
2: Oh man, that film. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) I would take that. (laughs) And there's that film Lucy as well, isn't there? The one where she has to... Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, though, with that... was it? Prince Harry's story?
2: I think it's actually different.
1: But still, though, you got to think about, like... Again, I just try to break things down to the simplest possible thing. Like, born into that, right? Like, that's the world you know is complete isolation from the rest of society security risk everywhere. Like you are literally royalty shutting that down. I'm not saying that it was like cool or not. I'm not judging the decision for them to request that the country club got shut down. I'm just saying it makes sense that they would ask for that, whether it was appropriate or not. If you just look at how their lives have been lived, that just kind of follows suit. Like that seems like normal, you know, standard operating procedure kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. I also think there's a big difference between someone that's like richer than them and someone that's actually noticeable to normal everyday people, the royal family. They're kind of recognizable wherever they go.
1: Yeah. They got to be careful.
2: Yeah, exactly. Versus someone like, you know, that's just massively rich that might've been hiding in the shadows and can walk out in Santa Barbara and know that no one's going to
0: Hassle them. I was just about to make a joke about them all having sex with each other. but uh, (laughs) (laughs) Under a mountain. It's like, oh, you look like me. We should have sex, probably, type of thing. (laughs) Like like everyone else has done for the last 200 years.
1: They all look the same when they're wearing antler horns.
0: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and cowboy
1: and, and
0: I think <laughs> about yeah. all the motherfuckers who are listening to this right now, hoping we're going to be talking about guitar playing and gear. And we've just been sitting here talking about <laughs> conspiracy and shit. We'll get That's there, fair. I promise.
1: Yeah. yeah, we'll get there. All right. Is there anyone you'd get starstruck by?
0: I was thinking about this the other day. I love music, dude. Like, and I, I love playing and I love the like nerdy aspects of it, but. As time has gone on, I feel less enchanted with the, like, at, at, at whatever level it is, too. You know what I mean? Like, come on. There's got to be one. There's got to be one.
1: No, no. I, I, I actually totally agree with you. Like, literally, Paul McCartney might be one of the only people that I would be like, oh, shit, about. Um, just because... I'm with you on that. Like, I'm not very enchanted by musicians anymore, though my admiration for people that have done awesome things is even greater, I guess.
0: Yeah, I definitely admire a lot of people because there's a lot of people, you know, to admire. I think that just down to it all, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and it was like getting ready for a tour or getting ready for anything. Most of the time, I'm down here practicing stuff, And then I'm like standing up and I'm like, hmm, that song's a little bit easier to play on this guitar. So maybe I should bring that guitar. Well, there's, I only have two spots in my Enki case. So that doesn't gonna make sense. Oh, maybe I should put like, you know a little bit heavier gauge on this guitar. Oh, okay, that riff's easier to play because they... The, but 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 it makes this other thing harder to play. And it's a million and one micro insane conversations with myself about shit like that. And the truth of the matter is that is just not very fucking cool. If I raise the treble side of my pickup just a little bit right here, it adds a cool sizzle to this chord. And I'm like, fuck, dude. And the truth of the matter is I would say you and... Brown and most of the people that we know do that exact same thing. You know what I mean? I don't. You don't? I don't.
2: Oh, I do. I really can't be bothered. I don't know how you have the mental capability to do that.
1: No, but there's got to be something you do that about. Okay, so I don't necessarily do it about those exact same things that Wes was talking about, though I might to some degree But there's got to be some shit you're neurotic about. I know you are. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Yeah, exactly. Like when you're recording the album.
0: Yeah, you're so full of shit, dude. You are like, you're (laughs) the most anal retentive motherfucker when it comes to tracking (laughs) guitars. Don't lie. No, no. I'm not as much as that, though. Like, for example,
2: the first U.S. tour, I didn't change my strings once because I couldn't be asked.
1: Well, yeah, but that's different. You're neurotic. About things that John Brown is neurotic about,
2: <laughs> I guess so to a degree, yeah. Which is, yeah,
0: I was I was watching this interview with, um, I mean any band, right? Whether it's in any band who is a uh, who is looked at as a like the apex of being great at live performance. Let's just call a couple like Masuga Gojira or whatever and yep. if you watch those bands i guess for like the last 10 years they're all stunning and increasingly more stunning with every tour like like both yeah. playing and performance wise and with the presentation with the lights and all that other shit and um you go watch like Masuga footage say in the 90s and it's it's not shitty but it's not what it is now and i was watching i saw an interview with martin hagstrom where he was like yeah man we you know we just don't really think about this shit much you know we don't practice or whatever and i was like you are a fucking liar <laughs> there's no <laughs> way that you don't no think way. about this shit all the time and improve it because i mean like the truth be told it might not be the band though
2: what's that the 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 live show element might not be the band they might have like suggested mm. something and then said, oh, that light guy's cool. Let's just get him. And then the light guy took it in upon himself to be neurotic by
0: basically being Thomas Hawker. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. I see what you, you, you're you referring. You're referring to the presentation and all that other stuff. I guess what I was, I mean, yeah, sure. And you get into a position where you can afford to have a guy who can be neurotic about that. I guess more what I'm talking about is like their playing. Yes. Yeah. Versus like you go watch Masuga at Dynamo 98 and go watch them whenever they played last again or any fucking video from the last 10 years and like it is it is a
2: different experience.
0: Distinct yeah. difference. You're like, "Oh, okay, these dudes are are fucking sick and and I think that that's 10, 15, 20 years of like millions of conversations going like, "Yo, your pick angle's a little shitty on that. It's kind of, like, sounding a little scratchy, like, maybe flatten it out again for this part, or you're picking too hard right there. Oh, let's, like, turn in, like, your your <laughs> gate's a little bit loose right here and shit. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that shit... That, yeah, like, it, well, Frederick it, definitely it, has it, that, don't he?
1: You know why I think you're right, too, is because that's not the natural trajectory of a human over that amount of time, especially at that age, like... They should be getting worse. So in order for them to get that much better at the age that they're at now, that's a decision. Well, that's a million micro decisions like you're saying, but that's conscious. That's conscious effort. That didn't just happen.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's the part of it that makes me go. And I mean, let me choose my words carefully. When I sit there and say that I'm not enchanted by stuff like that anymore because we all do that. I'm not sitting there and saying that I have... Got the tenure and the prowess that Frederick Thordahl has, or something like that. I mean, I aim to someday, but what I'm saying is is knowing that oh that's really what it was is obsessing about this shit for decades upon decades, and everything it it yeah. just makes you it's like, oh okay, well. Yeah, that's just what it is. It's a whole bunch of time and work and everything. Whereas with Steve we'll do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. sometimes I sometimes I just want to see a dude like drink a bunch of whiskey and spend 5 million dollars on watches and like do <laughs> stupid shit, you know what I mean? And, because that's a like that's a life that I'm never going to fucking have.
2: Makes sense. I think you're correct when you say that everyone gets neurotic about different things as well. Like, you know, guitar players, obviously, you know, Meshuggah is a good example. I remember t- I, was, I was speaking to Tom Quayle the other day actually, and um, he was saying he went and saw Alan Holdsworth not too long ago and his jaw was on the floor. And then Alan gets off stage and he looks pissed off cause he's played so shit. I think that's a good example of that as well. Cause you know, most people, when they hear Alan play, they'd be like, that was absolutely insane. But then to himself, The one little mistake or one little turn of the screw on the back pickup (laughs) is uh you know maybe what he needed for him to be happy
1: you know why i think people will get so enchanted by people we're mentioning right now is because they probably view it a lot the way that you see steve will do it like what you just said is that dude's living a life that you're never going to live right yeah and so it's super fucking exotic and funny and interesting and uh entertaining and just like wow like just wow and i I think that there's a lot of people who follow you know this style of music or these these intricate styles of music that take decades of obsession who have that same sort of that's them that'll never be me kind of feeling about it so therefore they're enchanted by it i think which actually you know, at URM and Riff Hard, I try hard to break people out of that mentality. Cause I think that that mentality, it's not destructive. If you're watching, Steve will do it because that's (laughs) not what you're going for. But like, if you're trying to get good at music or something, but you take that mentality towards other musicians, you worship them like deities or something and have the that's them. That'll never be me type thing. That's, that's a bad attitude. That's like, De- destructive and self-limiting. I think it should be more like what you just said about Frederick. You said um that you aspire to be able to do that one day, like maybe one day in your mind you'll get there, but you didn't put you didn't say the that's a life I'll never be living, which I think is a key difference.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean just in the immediate like this current juncture in time, like I think about something like this any of the nice things that anyone says to me about my band or guitar playing or whatever. I started this band kind of in 2015 and we kind of got, you know, I got my first record deal at 38 years old. You know what I mean? So I guess like it, like, if anyone out there is sitting there feeling like, oh, shit, like I'm 22 and I'm, you know, haven't done this, that, and the other thing yet. It's just like, well, dude, I am I turned 40 in November and I'm going out in a van, you know what I mean? And going to be having a hot and ready here and there and being happy about it. So like, <laughs> like don't feel bad if you aren't where you are. And, and in addition to that, one other thing, like I have these miniature, like, I have a crisis about this just about every few months because I'll be real stoked on where I'm playing. Like, for instance, beginning of this year, I was I had to do some videos for Seymour Duncan and I put out a couple of videos so I was rehearsing our stuff a lot and everything and um, was pretty stoked on how I was playing and then I flew out of town, went on vacation with my wife and had... Tim here and we were putting a rigs together and then my kids were here and then there was another thing and I just wasn't able to spend as much time playing guitar. And then I feel like I'm playing all shitty. So then I neurotically practice too much. And then I'm like, oh my God, I kind of forgot to play guitar. So I'm like, maybe I need, maybe I need to go up to heavier strings and this and that, or maybe I need to change (laughs) the pick that I've been using for my entire fucking life. And like, and then, and then all of a sudden I stand back and I'm like, wait, most of this is a mental thing. Most of this oh, is yeah. something that I'm overlooking. And then I call it having ghosts in your blood. You know what I mean? It's like this this thing that that is irrespective of whatever amount of effort you're putting in. Like there's just some ghosts that you have in your blood that like is giving you this problem. And usually the fix is like pretty simple. You're playing too hard or whatever, or you're like over overthinking a task and, you realize like, oh, okay. Like today, I kind of had that thing. Yesterday, I had a pretty shitty day playing guitar. I was like, God fucking damn it, and all mad. And I (laughs) threw a chair, and then here I am. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was just... It was just one of those days where I was tired and maybe had too much caffeine and Bob's your uncle.
2: I think in those situations as well, there's no amount of what anyone else can say that can reassure you either. Because I remember, um, just to bring this up, Wes, because I want to, (laughs) is that you were worried about the playthrough you did for Riff Hard. And no amount of me telling you how great it was could convince you that it was great until you heard it. And then you realized.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And that thing is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. D- didn't matter what we said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was ready. I was like, dude, I'm really sorry. I'm going to I'll reshoot it down here. I
1: remember. how. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> I think we all have that, though. I think every yeah, single totally.
2: guitar player, everyone that's like really passionate about a craft or a skill. Everyone goes through feelings of that. And I think that what you said with ghosts in your blood, I think that some days you just need to put it down and think, right, my brain's fucking me today. I'll come back to this tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's also a thing that Whenever you go and play a show and you experience that whole like spaghetti string thing, like everything <laughs> feels different. Is it's not because the, the temperature changed. It's not because like the tinsel strength of the core of your strings all of a sudden became compromised. It's because you're tense as fuck, and that's what changed. And you're yeah. so uh, yeah. I mean or you got the adrenaline as well. The adrenaline in your system. So it's just I guess this. Inventory of making sure that you're Paying attention to those things Amel was telling me that um, Jimmy Herring and I guess everyone in widespread Panic they Review notes Before they play, like after they get done playing, like they'll write down like, oh, yeah, this part in this song or that lick fucked me up. And then they do an inventory of it every day on a show. And then they go over the notes before they play the show. And I was like, ah, that's pretty good. So I started doing that in the notepad of my phone. I'm like, okay, here's a shitty thing. Because your average motherfucker, like who has a life, has like got (laughs) errands to run. Um, bills to pay, shit like that, which is, you know, people are busy, which is 99% of the reason that people outsource their opinions to some stupid fucking news channel. You know what I mean? No one has time to do research and maintain stuff. But when it comes to making a note, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, remember not to do this or remember to do this and breathe or remember to relax on this part or whatever makes it, I, I think that's a way to, um, ensure success do, do they review like a video um, or is it just they, off of memory I think that they get done playing and they write it down and then they review, review that immediately before
1: the show the next day because I remember Marty Friedman saying a long time ago that he would watch like every Megadeth show he w- would f- get himself filmed and then that night he'd watch the entire show and take notes and <laughs> every night Every single fucking night he was doing that, apparently.
0: Well, if you got a guy, then maybe, maybe you don't need to write it down. But if you got a guy who can film you, maybe, but
1: <laughs> no, but still, same yeah. idea. Yeah. Same, same idea.
0: I think it's also different
2: here. Like, I think that method of recording yourself is actually a different perspective as well than remembering in the moment. Cause sometimes something feels horrible, but then when you listen back to it, it sounds fucking great. So, the The method of recording yourself, like Marty, like a video or an audio recording of the entire show, so you can hear the entire multi tracks, which obviously is becoming more and more possible with current bands and artists. I think that that's a good method if you can be bothered to listen to what you just did. Yeah, which is a very small percentage of people, I can imagine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this day and age, if you're playing in ears, which I, you know, has become more common than not, like that's about as real with yourself as you can get about your playing and that is helpful for going like oh yeah like maybe I'm playing this a little hard or pressing a little hard and you know like it helps you to I mean not necessarily ration your energy but keep like a uh, a headroom, because I mean like it, In ears, if you're playing shitty It's kind of like, you know when you go You ever gone for a run and your dick's like That big afterwards, you know what I mean <laughs> It's like pulling out your runner's Dick in front of yourself, you're like oh, Yeah, there it is, my dick sucks, you know And I mean the ears The ear thing is, is helpful For, I mean A band that lives all over The fucking country like us, and then it's Just also good for If it's great in your ears, if it's okay in your ears, it was probably stellar out front. Definitely. Yeah, because
2: it's like being under a microscope. Literally. Literally, but yeah. The in-ears, when we got them, so we first started playing on them in 2018, and the first few rehearsals was absolute trash in comparison to what happened after. So yeah, I mean, even if you have one little tiny mistake in your ears, the likelihood of someone hearing it, 105 decibels, is probably nil. The
0: other thing about it too, I mean, again, this is a decision too, like I, when dudes ask me about this, because I, you know, I wear my guitar at like, I guess, a what would be considered Rock and roll height now You know what I mean <laughs> And there's definitely A bunch of pictures of me On the internet In the past Where
1: As opposed to virgin height
0: uh, Wearing my shit Way way too high I mean dude You could say What Come you want about a it Because Tom Morello's <laughs> Made more money okay, Playing fine. guitar You're right You're right You're right He's made more money Playing guitar Than I ever will But And he's not a virgin No he's had sex <laughs> That guy for sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With Ron a dick yeah? yeah probably And no one cared But I think about it, too. It's like when you sit there and you practice sitting down, that's about as ideal of circumstances as you're ever going to fucking have. So, I mean, if you have any um, hopes or dreams of getting out there and and playing music and captivating people's imaginations with it and you want to, you know, be a great performer, start playing standing up a few hours a day just so... You kind of get used to it. And if you want to play at like a rocking Heights, you know, that brings the ruckus, you know what I mean? It looks cool. Then that's, that's another component. My band that I had
1: back when I was at Berkeley, I was all about the idea of, uh, the harder the rehearsal is, the easier the show is. So I set up space heaters in the rehearsal room (laughs) and strobe, strobe lights we would set the space heaters to max. We had three of them in there in this small like concrete room and then like three strobe lights. And then we'd just turn off the light, blast those heaters, and try to play through the set, standing up like into it. And uh God, that shit sucked.
0: <laughs> I mean that shit sucked. <laughs> but it worked.
2: The only way yeah. to I make think. that more torturous is to then add something that you're allergic to to just before
0: you <laughs> start. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Because that, yeah. that definitely happened on one of our shows. What? Yeah, Chris, uh, you know, our ex-vocalist, ate something that had shellfish in it oh, nice. um, before the Seattle Chop Suey show. And Good on stage, job. he was coming out in this massive red rash, could barely walk afterwards. It's pretty interesting. And it was also the hottest show ever that I've ever played. So it was kind of like your spacey years. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, the space heater thing, it was just like what Wes is saying, make it more difficult for yourself so that when you're actually in the situation, it's at least not as much of a shock to the system.
2: It's bizarre to me because I find it way easier to play standing up. Well, you're lucky.
1: Yeah, because my arm
2: isn't pushed back like it is when I sat with a guitar. It's more natural position for me. Do you wear your shit pretty high? It covers, you know... The thing we spoke about five minutes ago it's that low i would say so rock and roll height it's not like hetfield arm fully extended out it's comfortable i wouldn't say it's up here or all the way down it's kind of somewhere in the middle
0: yeah i mean i give the reference of like if you're going to wear a pointy guitar and you're wearing that shit high you're you are so out of regs. You got to, you know, (laughs) but if you're wearing a strat because the strat, like, I mean, this is, and again, this is why I would, I wouldn't blame someone for wanting to hang out with Steve. We'll do it instead of me, but the bridge is further back. You know what I mean? Than it is on say like a flying V or a fucking Iceman or anything like that. So like you kind of got, I typically had to wear a strat a little bit higher in order for it to feel normal ish. Whereas like a pointy guitar because I grew up playing like an Explorer shaped guitar and the bridge is further forward on that. And I just generally play a guitar like that better than um, a Strat shaped guitar. But for a while, you know, like that was about the only seven string guitar you could get, you know, from like 2007 to, I don't know, maybe a few years ago, your, your average cheap and or nice Seven string guitar was a strat shape. I would, I haven't, I guess I haven't thought about it like, cause I haven't looked at a lot of pictures of you live. I don't remember you wearing your shit super high.
2: No, not super high. I don't remember it either. It's basically comfortable.
0: The main thing about it is just like making the adjustments for, you know, where you're picking. Cause if you have your shit low, and your arms down you're kind of playing on the side of your pick and that's, that's something you had to make an adjustment for whereas if you have it sort of mid-height then it does sort of feel like you're you're playing sitting down i think
1: the idea of making those adjustments for the first time ever in front of people on stage is the really bad idea but this reminds me a lot of like what i would do with drummers before the studio like whenever a drummer a band was booked I would talk to the drummer like 2 or 3 months in advance and make them send me a picture of their setup like birds eye view all angles just to determine what the heights were what the distances were not just for miking reasons but also just to just to understand how their setup works and you know how it is with death metal drummers they typically have 78 cymbals and like 52 toms they like to have everything super super close together which sounds like shit on recording and so is typical to ask drummers to raise their cymbals uh at least find a compromise where it's not like one inch off of the toms or something but it's not something you want to throw at a drummer on day one of recording like that, that's just stupid. It's asking for the drummer to hate you and also asking for them to not do that good of a job and for them to be stressed the fuck out. If you ask them three months in advance so that they raise their cymbals then and then they practice that way, it's really not as big of a deal. When Or like if you find out what kind of sticks they play and they're toothpicks and you, know, you want them to play with baseball bats so they sound good, you can't just do that to them on day one of recording especially if it's technical music like that requires a lot of speed like it's it's not going to be good you want them working this shit out like months in advance so that by the time you record them they're used to higher cymbals and thicker heavier sticks same idea
2: it makes sense just, I just want to go back a little bit because I just had to search this. But you were saying if you wear a pointy guitar really high. Uh-oh. <laughs> and there's a picture of the Kinks and he's playing a flying V with his hand between the V.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fucking out of line. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, I mean, maybe
0: oh, there, there's like a, a small... Benefit of the doubt, because I'm sure the Flying V was a pretty new guitar then, and maybe he was just like, yeah, I guess this is how you would play this fucking thing. I see it. I'm looking now.
2: Just <laughs> search the Kinks Flying <laughs> I V. Just,
0: yeah, I just Dave did. Davies, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When I say a lot of that stuff, you know, of course I believe in it, but a lot of it's for... Comedic relief too So if you want to wear Your fucking pointy guitar High <laughs> Go for it I'm not I'm not just get, I'm not telling you I'm get not get telling you of. How to live your life I'm definitely not But I mean
2: <laughs> I, I actually think It looks pretty cool Played like that But obviously I just wouldn't Play it like that
1: Oh yeah cool <laughs> As long as it's not You doing it
2: <laughs> Yeah I I. Okay I appreciate That he did
1: that There we go That he had the balls To do that Yeah Cause that is Pretty ballsy move Holy shit This is ridiculous the one I'm looking at right here. He's literally like holding it almost like an acoustic guitar, like with the the V like coming up like over his bicep. <laughs> it's fucking weird.
0: How does this make you feel, Wes? <laughs> oh, I mean, I know, I've seen that picture before, and I mean, dude, speaking of speaking of Tremonti, like that guy has always borne his guitar at rock and roll height, and I mean, I I. I, I remember him mentioning something about that. He's one, so he was just like, "Dude, if I even miss a little thing, I don't care. I just can't stand the way it looks wearing it high." And I mean, rock. I mean, rightfully so. He does have a. I mean, great, you're talking about a rock god right there. He, you know? he does have a great torso, though. Like he's a really in shape guy. <laughs> he's got that. He's got that active rock radio torso. You know what I'm talking about? There's almost like yes. a like you got like the real lean. Like you got the chest and you got the delts, but nothing's like out of control. Like you don't look like he looks like he stays in shape, but he doesn't look like working out is his entire life. You know, and it's probably that that, that torso paired with playing at a rock and roll height is <laughs> going to be the best look for you
1: out there. That's the winner. <laughs> oh, but he, yeah, he looks great holding the guitar. I'm looking through it right now. man. the way you hold your guitar matters. All right, what about headless guitars?
0: <laughs> I got one back there. Yeah, but what about it? It's a great guitar. It's um, 100% like functional in terms of like staying in tune and all that other stuff. So it's like a guitar that works? More so what I'm saying is, is that like I would be totally fine to record with it. But <laughs> if you're going to start a band and you want to, you know, not necessarily have a message like you're telling people how to live and what to think. But if you want to provide them with an experience that um is congruent with the music that you make, I would say that a headless guitar is not congruent with the message of my band. So I mean and <laughs> there's some motherfuckers that look great with it. Um I I'm not one of those guys though.
1: <laughs> I've never understood it. But you know, I've never played one and I do believe you that there that it plays well, but I could never imagine getting on stage with a headless guitar.
2: I played one song with one once. And? My body frame isn't Mark Tremonti's. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> he doesn't play headless guitars.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just saying, though, I don't have yeah, that. Okay, fair You enough. know what I mean? It's like, I think that because of how tall I am and how, let's say, how wide I am, the headless guitar looks like a toy for me.
0: I look better with a pointy guitar. On, I, I just always will. Like that's probably because I grew up playing them, so like my hands sit on them correctly. And yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not as fat as I've ever been right now, because I've I've been dude. There's some pictures of me on stage where I'm I just look like I'm in agony. I'm so You're fat. <laughs> oh, <Not laughs> appreciate it. But I mean, dude, there's definitely some times where like it wouldn't have mattered if I had the coolest looking guitar (laughs) ever. I was going to look like a fat guy on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Demmel, he's playing with uh, Violence now, used to be in Machine Head. He says the same thing. He says, like, I just don't look right with a Strat, you know? And he predominantly plays King Bees, you know? And that guitar looks great on him. And, um, you know, that's what I'm talking about. If your music, irrespective of whether it has lyrics or not, if it looks like it sounds, playing a fucking headless guitar, go for it.
1: But you know what? Doesn't Mark from Suicide Silence play a Strat?
0: No, Garza does.
1: Garza does, okay.
0: Mark plays like pointy, kind of like Randy Rhodes kind of V-style guitars. But still, I, I was saying
1: there, if you can rock it, like, there's always someone who can rock whatever, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't really think of a Strat when you think of like Blast Beats, but obituary did it too.
0: Talking about motherfuckers that look cool on stage, Mark's probably got to be one of the one of the coolest look. I, I've told him yep. that too. He's got it down. I've told him that. I was like, probably out of all my friends, you're the coolest looking dude on stage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I swear when I was I, I teched for them about 11 years ago uh, on Europe tour. I swear he was using strat shapes at that point.
1: I thought so too.
2: Yeah, I think it's a rec- more recent thing because I swear he moved to like a single cut and then he's
1: gone pointy. It's gone pointy. It's gone pointy. Well, y'all go well go pointy eventually. <laughs> 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 I did. <laughs> love it. I haven't gone there yet. It's the natural evolution of a metal player.
0: Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, that's one thing that's definitely new. Well, it came back around cuz I dude, like from let's say 2008 to maybe 2017 like the iron bird the mockingbird the warlock the iceman like all that stuff was by the guitar forum facebook group sort of sodom and gomorrah of the guitar internet (laughs) fucking place like those dudes all hated pointy guitars and now it's come sort of back into uh, vogue which is probably, you know, I mean it's it's a it's a cool thing. I don't think that strat-shaped guitars have gone out of vogue, but it's definitely, it's come back around. No, they never.
1: I, I remember having the Iceman in 08, like being the only person I knew with one. They were so rare. I just didn't even make them anymore. I had to go to the custom shop to get any of my Icemans. They didn't even sell them anymore. And people were like, oh, Paul Stanley? Or like Oh yeah, I remember white zombie. But like <laughs> nobody nobody fucking played them in our circles at all. Like you didn't see them anywhere, which I thought was awesome. So see them more
2: now. Do you think part of the problem was for, you know, the that time period extended range players started becoming more and more like, you know, people wanted 7 strings, people wanted 8 strings, and I think that there wasn't really anything available in those weird body styles because it was such a depart for guitar companies. They didn't know if it was going to sell at that time period. So the Strat shape was kind of like safety zone. Maybe. Because the only seven string guitar that I can think of from that time period that was quite pointy was the Xyphos.
0: That was rather short-lived, and I see where you're talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. That's logical. There's balance issues with pointy guitars in general, and then if you're going to make them a fucking longer scale and add another tuner to the headstock, you're kind of asking for it. I think that that is somewhat valid, but I also think that, like with everything else, you know, stuff swings back around and everything, like the OSDM thing is Hot as a motherfucker right now, and the pointy guitar thing is a part of that heritage. So I think that that is aiding in pointy guitars selling and maybe making it more acceptable. I mean, th- like let's face it, like like I said earlier, like ninety percent of people outsource their opinions to whatever they deem to be, you know, prestigious. And if you see some dude who you think is bitching playing a pointy guitar, you're like, oh, okay, I like those again.
1: I guess I can do it too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that that's a big part of why you're seeing it swing back around now, which is cool. Whatever whatever way it happens, I'm, I, I, I have no objection. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, Brown, I agree. I agree with
1: what you're saying to a degree. Like, I uh, definitely think that there's some validity to that, but I also think the market dictates these things. And like Wes was saying, if like popular guitar players were playing them and it was like in the consciousness, the guitar companies would have they would have figured out how to do it because they want to make money. <laughs> so I, I think the market is what dictates the way these things go, which is why it's so important, uh, why guitar players and bands who are out there are so important to guitar companies.
0: On that note, same world, different angle. Since all of this, a litany of issues have happened that have kept people at home and, you know, medical restrictions in place. And not being able to have trade shows. I was talking to, I guess, a few different people now who are, you know, working for some of these big box companies. And it would seem that they're going to try NAMM out again this year. Yeah, and in June. But most people think that it's not worth doing anymore because the last two years have been their biggest years ever. That's crazy to think that certain companies, especially big ones like Fender had their biggest fucking years ever. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was just thinking of.
1: I was just thinking of Fender.
0: Their biggest years ever when there were no trade shows. And I mean, for, I guess, you know, I mean, probably most people listening to this know that Nam is, it's a thing that you have to register for six months in advance. You like are spending probably, if you're a big company like that. A million dollars. Somewhere to the tune of, yeah, I was going to say half a million but if you're upstairs and you have one of the you're exhibiting in one of the big big halls it's probably close to that and like all the employees it's that so you're paying
1: expensive
0: and all this other shit and it used to be that you know like most companies would think oh we had a decent year we could attribute that to you know exhibiting at NAM and now that that is provably false i wonder if the trade show see like the trade show thing across even Music mess and stuff ends up going away. No, Music mess is already gone. I can
1: tell you my perspective as someone that had an amp booth, and that shit was fucking expensive as all fuck. Oh, my God. It was so much money. <laughs> tens upon tens of thousands of dollars for this little thing. We didn't have, like, the tiny booth or anything. We had, like, a real booth, but, like, still, tens upon tens of thousands of dollars, and I still don't know what it did other than pat our egos a little, that we had a Nam booth. I can only imagine what it, the companies upstairs, like on the upper floor, we were in the middle floor, but like the upper floor can only imagine, it has to be millions of dollars that they were spending. But like, I don't think that we grew as a result. Like, I think we got to say, we're a real company. We had a Nam booth, but like, is that worth that amount of money? Fuck no, absolutely not. So we had already made the decision back then, like we're not spending on this again. This made literally zero difference for us, other than saying we had a NAM booth. So I can imagine that these bigger companies that literally spend millions on this stuff. I don't know if how well Fender did is published or not, but let's just say that there's a lot of zeros. A lot that they, they are so big right now after COVID, not having done NAM. What difference does something like NAM make for them? It's like so expensive and they have to devote so many resources to something like that and it makes no difference. I think you're going to start seeing those things go away. Or what'll happen is that NAM is going to be more like, what summer nam has always been which is kind of like the nam that no one really goes to or cares about or the companies who couldn't afford you know summer nam was generally the companies who couldn't really afford to do winter nam would do summer nam and no one really went to summer nam and it was kind of like a like an afterthought and i think that that's where we're headed with winter nam if it makes it past this year there's no winter nam anymore is it <laughs> well no no i know but you know what i mean okay california nam <laughs> california nam <laughs> so winter nam has now been moved to june so it's summer nam but like the one in california like the the main one
0: henceforth it's moved to june like from here on out for as long as they plan on doing it it's going to be or is it just this year that it's going to be june
2: i think they've moved it Now, I think it's a really, personally, I think it's a bad idea because June time is a prime touring season.
0: Yeah, and everyone's at fucking Disneyland and everything like that, too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine the price of that Hilton?
1: (laughs) I tried. I wanted to just reserve a room just to go. Yeah. Yeah. Was it $1,000 a night? Yeah, it was around that. I was like, fuck this shit. Yeah, it's expensive there. I
2: mean, so Music Mess is gone now, and obviously the guitar department from that went a couple of years ago because of the prices. And I think that as fun as trade shows are, because it gets everyone into one place, it means everyone can meet each other. Musicians can do these performances for, you know, well, with Nam, it's mainly just the people that sell products. But... With the internet, you don't really need that anymore. Like, it's one of those things that you just don't really need. There are obviously some smaller ones that do really well um, and will probably continue to do well because they're going to take over from what Music Messer was missing for the last few years or what, you know, other trade shows have, you know, been missing. But I think in an internet world, the Nam show is kind of obsolete. Yep, I think so too.
0: I'm prepared to be wrong,
1: but I agree.
0: I'll miss seeing you, like... You know, out in front, like looking, you know, a little bit sick and in pain and being real, real hungover. <laughs> I'm sure you'll miss yeah. seeing, seeing me like that, too. I mean, well, as it stands, yeah, that's what I've heard, too, is that Summer NAM is basically a whole bunch of retailers from all over the place. And these are like sit downs where they're like, all right, we want... 187 of this model and all this other stuff. And it's 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 that type of business, whereas the Winter name traditionally was like the music industry. It's like high school reunion. It's them kind of like rearing their ugly head, like this big three-headed dragon and being like, look how much fucking money we have. And like, <laughs> look at this. And <laughs> look at these girls with their tits out and stuff like that. Yeah. And now it's turned into more of a, a, a press thing than anything. And now on that note too, I don't know if you guys have ever dealt with I think that what is the the UK Europe's version of sweetwater is Tomen. Tomen. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but Tomen. T- t- I just say Toman Tomen. T- dude, sweetwater is so goddamn convenient, dude. And those people are so nice. It's insane. Like dude, Sweetwater is great. When you talk to them, like I like, like I I hate really kind of contacting companies for anything anyway. So if I fucking just need something, I buy it on Sweetwater and I can text my rep. It's almost like it's DoorDash. You know what I mean? Like I'm fucking <laughs> like, hey, can I get this thing? Cool. Charge this card and, and, and it's done. And I was like, dude, if and when, like the reason maybe those people are so nice, aside from the fact that I think that they're probably good people, maybe the reason that they're so nice is they're like, look, we better make this the best experience ever because pretty soon Amazon could just take our lunch and just start sending people fucking, you know, like think about that. And like the next five years, I bet it's not that far off that you could be able to go on Amazon and buy like some Friedman brown eye head or something like that and have some drone bring it to your fucking (laughs) house, you know? Um, So so, so, (laughs) in the same day, yeah. yeah. So Sweetwater's (laughs) just like, well, we better make this the most incredible experience for everyone who shops with this. So they keep going and it works. It works for me. They're a billion dollar company now. Well, good for them. Very good for them. I hope that they don't end up going to some meeting at the Bohemian Grove with all the other fucking billionaires in the world.
1: (laughs) Dude, the thing, though, is when I hear about a music company like Sweetwater or Fender reaching those heights, I think I have an opposite reaction of what a lot of people we know have. When I see that, I'm like, fuck, yes, this is amazing. A music company that started as nothing is now a billion-dollar company. What that means is, especially with Sweetwater... That means that people care about music because what do they do? They sell shit to people who want to make music. So if Sweetwater is a billion dollar company. That means that music is alive and well. Yep. The fact that they're growing, it means music is growing. That's a wonderful thing for all of us. So uh, people should wish Sweetwater success. And uh, like, I know that everyone is like, fuck Guitar Center can't wait to see them go and like, yeah, we've all been annoyed at a guitar center, but like the bigger implications of something like guitar center going away suck for those of us who need music to be alive to survive. So like when I see something like Sweetwater and hear about them having the best year ever, like it fills me with happiness because- that means music is healthy. How many times have we heard music is dying? Music's going to be gone. There's going to be no music industry, like blah, 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 all this bullshit. But then you hear about Sweetwater doing that and it's like, yeah, cool. Music is still alive and well and a viable thing and not, you know, fuck jumping ship. I
2: actually think that companies like that are what's going to, like, they're going to be Mini NAM events with companies like that, where they probably so, where it's more concentrated, where it's only the brands that they deal with with X amount of invites only, and they use it as a marketing tool rather than companies paying tens, hundreds, if not millions of dollars to a company that doesn't care about what they're doing. Ultimately, the NAM show only cares about making money for the NAM show, whereas Sweetwater wants to sell these companies products that's that makes them money ultimately so that's i think that's the next shift is that the nam show doesn't care about selling products they care about selling booths
1: well i hope you're right and by the way wes i do agree with you that i do think that the sweetwater reps are good dudes yeah and i think that that's part of the deal like that's like part of being a sweetwater rep is like i've heard that the training for that is actually super rigorous and they're looking for a certain type of person who is like a good person who is able to make friends with lots of people and is super knowledgeable about this stuff that's what i've heard at least that the that the training is they're not fucking around with that training
0: there's that guy mitch gallagher he's like the dude who does like a lot of their videos and he kind of looks like um kenny rogers you know what i mean <laughs> like he's got the white hair and he's like yep. he can play guitar real well and he's like super knowledgeable and he'll like i was every once in a while, I'll see like, oh, there's some, you know, new API boost pedal. And Mitch Gallagher's got a video and I'm like, yes. Okay. Thank you, Mitch. Now I know everything I want to know. They have perfect sort of uh, senses for like how to make someone want to buy something and not feel stupid. In the past, I suppose the big ones like musician's friend or mars music or any of those places I, I can remember calling those places up when i was a kid and like it was your standard fair kind of like music store dickhead guy you know what i mean <laughs> who like either didn't know anything or like wasn't super personable so yeah i mean to cap it off th- thanks for everything that you do sweetwater shout out to Joshua. I have a Guitar
1: Center story. Just uh so like I just, you know, I know I just uh, was saying that I hope they don't go under, but <laughs> I do think that their their business practices are the reason that those places are a fucking zombie ghost town now and Sweetwater's thriving. So here's a perfect example. I have a brother that's 10 years younger than me. He used to play drums as a kid and I remember that he needed A metronome, a set of drummer headphones, and a headphone amp for his drum lessons. And my mom was going to go buy that for him with him. And I think he was like nine years old or something. All right. Nine years old. Not like 19 years old in like some band trying to do shit like my band or whatever. Nine. So I was like, mom, this is what you need. I gave her the name of a one channel headphone amp that would boost headphones enough for a drummer to be able to hear a drummer metronome that could be plugged into it perfectly that works with it. And then the $30 Vic Firth drummer headphones, right? So all in all spending 60 bucks back then for this, what she came back with was a four channel rack mount headphone amp. Like what the fuck does she, did my brother need a four channel rack mount headphone amp for what is it the dr 770 like that drum machine that drummers used to use like that was like Two hundred dollars, I believe, and then not the Vic first. There, I forget who made
0: it, but like, what a nice mom so far, by the way.
1: (laughs) But like, dude, the Guitar Center dude totally swindled her.
0: I'm just more shocked by the fact that she was like, okay, whatever for my baby boy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah i I had to buy I had to buy
1: all my own shit. (laughs) Like, yeah, I had to I had to pay for all my guitars, all my amps, like all that stuff. My youngest brother. Uh, you know how it is with the youngest kids, but, uh, no, she, my mom's great. Love my mom. And my parents were very supportive of our, uh musical ambitions but like still what I I, the list I gave her was like $60 worth of stuff she came back with $350 worth of stuff and she gave the guitar center guy the list and he was like no that's not what you want you want this and the thing is with Sweetwater they never do that kind of in my experience they never do that kind of shit like if you say you want something they'll sell you that thing if you want options, they'll talk to you intelligently about those options, but I never get the vibe like they're trying to scam me or something. And that thing with my mom really fucking pissed me off because she doesn't know anything about music gear. And my brother was nine years old. How would he know anything? So they fucking scammed them. Like I know that they carried and had in stock everything on the list that I gave, uh, cause I checked. So, um, you know, I feel like those types of practices have led them to where they're at now, which is that people don't go there.
2: I think that that practice was common in a lot of music stores, especially the the chain music stores, because what they would do is they would pay their employees shit and put them on, um, you'd have to sell X amount of products mm-hmm. every week to reach a quota. And if you didn't, then you got a warning. This was similar to a company in the UK called Sound control that went under in the mid2000s. They actually took Rossetti with them, which was one of Gibson's distributors, which is the reason why Gibson started selling direct um, because it wiped everything out. And I think that this might this you know the the working two quotes is what caused that behavior. I don't think it was necessarily that the people were bad. I think the circumstances were bad.
1: Well sure, but still. I'm not saying that the person trying to pay their electric bill is the asshole, but... But fuck him, too.
0: <laughs> fuck him, too. Scamming my mom. Yeah, you
1: can go fuck himself. Still my mom that got scammed.
0: There's certain things about that. I mean, I don't even know if that was like that in the UK, but there was a certain pedigree of dude at, like, your independent mom-and-pop guitar <laughs> shop. Like, there was, like, the dudes who had that kind of, like, like, um... I don't want to say mullet, but it was like a, it was like a wavy back and like all of them, pretty much all of them had like sound and sound magazines on the counter and like, you know, like could play the intro to Mean Street, you know, the thing, like they were all big Van Halen guys. There's certain things about that that I will miss because those guys definitely like they They serve a purpose, you know? Yeah, give us shit to talk about. The music store thing now, and I mean, I don't know if this is, like, because of, from what I understand, the 90s, Peavy's whole MO was leaning into the independent music shops, you know what I mean? They said that they would never, you know, jump in with, like, the big box distributors like uh, Sam Ash and um, Guitar Center and stuff like that, which was why you could walk into, like, a a... Independent music shop in the '90s and see a fifty-one, fifty-two, and a JSX and an Ultra and stuff like that. And I mean, maybe to some degree, that's why like you could get an uh, an American tube amp like that for twelve hundred dollars or something, you know, in the in the '90s. And now I think about it, and this is sort of the case, I guess, with certain certain younger dudes that I that I teach. A lot of those dudes have learned how to play guitar through like a a, a neural plug-in or, or amplitude and stuff like that and have gotten, you know, like know everything about the finer points of side chaining and stuff like that and and, and know all this kind of crazy stuff and that is, that's why what, what we're looking at now and maybe that's why the trade show thing, in addition to every fucking thing else, COVID and stuff won't be a thing because like kids just, They don't want or need that much shit, you know, potentially. (laughs) No, what for? Just think, one day, all our guitars will
2: be in some program, and someone will be able to program that guitar better than we can play it.
1: Maybe. No, but I I hear what you're saying, Wes. Like, uh, it's not just with gear. It's also with lessons, for instance. How many of your guitar students do you teach in person?
0: Zero, since probably about, like, 2013. All right. And I don't know that I'd be able to provide, or anyone would really be able to provide a better experience in person, rather than, like, the absolute, like, if someone kind of, like, positioning their hand and going, no, check it out, like, you know, modifying someone's technique. But you can kind of do that with a, with a camera now. Like, I can bring the camera up closer to me and stuff and...
1: That's the beauty of, so, you know, back when we were kids, to get a guitar lesson, we'd have to go to the neighborhood mom and pop shop and whoever was the lineup of teachers.
0: That dude who could play Mean Street,
1: I'm telling you. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what you, that's what you got. So if you lucked out and there was some awesome dude who could teach really well, well, killer. But more often than not, there weren't. More often than not, they were just frustrated dudes who couldn't get a job in the real world and their music sucked and they just worked at this guitar store and they taught kids and hated it. And um, it's very different than like if back in the 90s, I could have taken a Skype lesson with Marty Friedman or some shit, like, or Gary Holt or like Alex Skolnick. Like, just imagine if like those dudes, like, you know, the, they were like, they're still all great players, but like, you know, the current like metal, metal gods of the time were like, you could just take a Skype lesson with them or a Zoom lesson. Imagine that. So like, I think that kids now who are learning this way, they don't need to go to the mom and pop shop for those lessons either. So, and I think that those lessons were giving sales to those stores because they're going in the store they're there physically, then they walk through the store, they see guitars and amps and all that stuff. And this ecosystem of lessons and gear just doesn't exist. So now they have all this knowledge that they're getting about how to use plugins. And, um, they're learning from people that are legitimately awesome and they don't have to go to some shitty teacher. Like it's a different world. I think it's a better world. I think that, you know, You're seeing things that people don't need anymore just going out the window where they belong,
0: in the trash. On that thing, Tim, our bass player, he's 10, a little little over 10 years younger than I am. So like, what was he born in, you know, probably 94 or something like that. So his formative years with music, the internet was definitely... A thing You know what I mean So Not to like a serious degree But sometimes I look at myself And like I guess What I've Been able to learn Being A Older dude You know Being somewhat self-contained With recording And being like You know Alright sweet I think I got a handle on this And then there's Tim Who Is Great at guitar Tim is f- Fucking Sick at guitar He can play Bass Like as well as any motherfucker that I've ever been able to see play heavy metal bass and, you know, like your traditional sort of like bass that you would hear in church. You know what I mean? Like played with mm-hmm. the fingers and a whole bunch of slap technique and stuff like that. And then he's also unbelievable. There's nothing he can't do with audio. And there's also nothing he can't do with building rigs. And I'd say the bulk of that was just being able to Google it, you know what I mean, and and doing that yeah. at a really early age. So yeah, kind of you have to be able to do this shit now. I learn stuff from him all the time. Like I mean, I'm like I said, I I use logic, and I'm I thought I was okay with it, but then I see him fly around it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm I suck, you know. So that's an example. And he's not even the youngest dude, you know. and He's like 28 years old. So like the young, like there are probably young, young, young kids now who can do all kinds of shit but that kind of translates to multiple different
2: fields as well if you want to go down a rabbit hole of seeing geniuses then just look at what some people have done with something like a raspberry pi like imagine if we had that in our childhoods we'd all be programming geniuses with our you know um, meticulous.
0: I'm I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about a real pie for a second, but I figured out <laughs> a raspberry pie. I was like, I was like, is, this like a, is this like a
1: sexual joke or like an
0: actual pie or like... Man, he pivoted quick on the, like from this to culinary stuff. I'm not sure. Yeah, like what? <laughs> no, the Raspberry Pi. Come on. You
2: guys must know what that is. I have no idea. It's like that tiny little computer that you can do a million different things on.
1: Your iPhone?
2: No, it's a microcomputer. It's like everything's on like one tiny little board and people, you know, program it to do millions of different things. Internet security, all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Okay. I see. No, I did did not even know that these things exist.
2: That's crazy because how have you not seen this? This shows that we are old. Well, now I have. But there's like kids like, you know, five to 10 years old that are programming these things into, you know, crazy things that would only be, would have been science fiction 20 years ago.
1: Uh, I got an Oculus Quest. I don't know why, because I haven't played video games and like. Dude, it's so good. (laughs) I haven't, yeah, dude, but I'm not a video game guy. I haven't played video games since like, like when the band got serious, when I got serious about getting the band signed, like back in 2003, that's when I stopped playing video games and I haven't since. And then recently I was just, someone talked me into getting one. So I got one and, you know, I don't play it very often, but every once in a while I do. And I'm playing this game Onward, which is really cool. And the thing is that, you know you think you're good at it till some fucking 14 year old schools you and uh you know that's just that's just life the uh the younger generation is faster with technology they're smarter it is it is what it is but i think it's great and i think it's hilarious when people that are a little bit older think that the younger generation is stupid or like kids these days like all that it's like bro you have no idea how fucking smart and talented kids these days are it's impressive i can only imagine what it would be like to grow up in the digital age the way that they have it's so cool i'm actually a little jealous of them but uh, i mean i think it's cool that we got to see the analog world uh, but uh but the advantage that they have growing up with this is like holy shit wow impressive stuff um i actually have a lot of hope for the current young generation, like the generation that are teenagers and that are, you know, younger kids that are growing up with this at their fingertips. Um, I have a a lot of hope for them, actually. I don't know how you guys feel about it.
0: It's definitely made some, in terms of like players and stuff, it's definitely made for some really, really young, freaky players. And it's made for creative advertising. Like, for instance... Like, I watch, and, and I use this, like, relative to my age, but I, like, I watch certain younger dudes who have bands and have been able to build a sort of participatory culture with their stuff, like those guys in Polyphia and stuff like that. Like, their fans are all super down with them and all of their, like, esoteric humor and stuff like that. And that's different because, I mean, dude, I remember... I was talking to someone about this the other day. Like breaking open like a Metal Maniacs magazine and seeing like a half page advertisement for the first slipknot record. And they were in these orange jumpsuits. And I was just like, man, whoa, what the fuck is this? I think it's metal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the like <laughs> like some of this stuff. And and it worked and it made me go out and buy it. And I mean, that doesn't work the same way anymore. You know, and, and so it's it's made it um it's made certain things change really fast and made certain things more creative. I would say the biggest thing that I see, I guess, and this is going to really make me sound old. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) The biggest thing that I see that's different is that like the Gen Z group of dudes, it seems like aren't gigantic risk takers. And that may or may not be a bad thing. Like for instance, my kids, neither of them have like, snuck out of the house. None of their friends have, like, gotten in any fights or smoked cigarettes or had sex and stuff like really? that. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And, I mean, they're, they're all well into their teenage years. I have one um, who's 18, and he hasn't either. I mean, they're both really smart, really loving kids and stuff like that, but it's so different. They don't even know anyone
1: at their school who's partied. And you sure they're not just telling you this because you're a parent?
0: No, no, no. I mean, we definitely have like a... You're a cool parent, so... We have the full-on honesty policy, and that's the thing where I'm just like, as long as you always tell me what's going on, we'll always figure it out. I'm never going to jump your shit if you're honest with me. But the thing with it it is like, by the time I was in seventh grade, I could procure drugs if I wanted to. (laughs) And, and dude, and the thing about that is, is like I didn't grow up in a fucking city... I grew up in like the foothills that are like right past... Fresno, California, like in between Fresno and, and um, Yosemite Valley, so it wasn't like some cultural mecca where there was like some drug kingpin that you would experience. A rich and vibrant drug culture. By the time I was in seventh grade, I've never done meth, but there was plenty of kids who I knew who had an older brother that could get you meth that they wanted weed for sure, booze for sure, and 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 acid. And they don't even know anyone. And, and, and one side of it you're like okay that's good i mean especially being a parent you're like thank god but on the other side it's like seems like they're all a little afraid of risk you know what i mean
1: yeah interesting
0: and i don't know if that type of thing i mean granted i'm i i don't know enough about this i'm a almost 40 year old like heavy metal hesher guitar player so like i, I i'm not poised intellectually to say this is related or not but I think that risk is involved in any sort of, whether that's being an entrepreneur or fucking being a dude who's going to start a band or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? There's like this element of risk where you're going out on your first, second, third tour and you're like, I I don't know if anyone's going to buy our fucking shirts and I I don't even know. if If we can get the
1: gas to go to
0: the next show yeah 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 (laughs) but you just go fuck it you know we're gonna do it
1: i actually (laughs) completely agree with you that risk you have to be very comfortable with risk like i mean yeah entrepreneur to start this i had to completely quit producing i was making a really good living producing even you know like things fell apart at the studio of zap but still regardless of that, on my own, I was still making a really good living producing, and I stopped cold, 100%. Went from, like, a really good living to literally zero in order to start URM, and that was a huge fucking risk, because I know that, like, when a producer stops working and takes a few years off to get back in is real tough, and, uh, and, like, yeah, it's, like, to start a band, to, like, push a band, that's risk, like, nothing good of this variety happens without assuming some sort of risk. You have to. And if you're risk averse, there's some level to where it's good to be somewhat risk averse, but let's put it this way. I'm not very risk averse. It's very, very good that one of my partners, Finn, is somewhat risk averse. We balance each other out really, really well, but like I'm willing to jump off the cliff and and like hope that the parachute's gonna work.
0: Yeah. My wife says the exact same thing about me is that I throw other people my life raft. I do that all the time. I do she's like, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it happen. She's like, but yeah, but you don't need to go that hard. And I'm like, okay, so yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So it's a hundred percent or nothing. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That has its own perils. So I guess I'm not making an <laughs> argument for either side. It's just something that I've noticed. And I don't know if that applies to every kid growing up everywhere right now, but it would it would say it would, it would it would seem that a lot of people in that age group are taking it easy, and some a little bit older, or maybe
2: they're just not as reckless as us.
0: <laughs> I guess for both of you, I mean, because you grew up you grew up in Atlanta, right? Yep, and you grew up. Over there with the mushy peas. Yeah, and the gravy guzzlers. (laughs) And the scones. By the time you were in, like, junior high, would you say that it was pretty easy to to get fucked up if you wanted to or get into mischief? Age 13.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Absolutely,
0: we're covering a pretty big triangle here. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: My best friend tried to burn down his school. You know,
0: <laughs> I love Atlanta. I love. I love it. I always have. I always have.
1: I, I, my, my my friends went to the Howard School. You remember that school? Do you remember? Have you heard of it? No, I'm sure my my wife's born and raised here. So she would know. I'm sure, you know, people from the Howard school They were So back in the nineties, metal wasn't like normal people weren't into metal. So I was the only person like at my high school that I went to a normal high school and was the metal kid. But like in order to play metal, you had to play with the kids that went to the schools for people with problems and, uh, <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the behavioral problems and shit like that. The kids that for the behavior reasons couldn't hang with, uh, the rest of, uh, the rest of society and shit like trying to burn down their school or fighting too much or whatever. So, yeah, it was very easy to get into mischief if I wanted to. Yeah, (laughs) totally.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's as widely available. But then again, I hear about stuff where it's like major cities like Portland and stuff like that, and there's like a big opioid problem in high school. So maybe it's just an isolated thing. Who really fucking knows? But I'd say don't be afraid to go out there and get into a little mischief, kids. You know what I mean? It's good (laughs) practice. Now would be the time to do it, too. Don't be afraid to take some risks. Or... Or don't And <laughs> toe the line And go to get a college degree And stuff like that and, and have a dog And don't sit here like me At 39 Staying up till 1, 2 in the morning And, and like working out something And being like Oh God, it sounds a little shitty Like I gotta and, and then And having a freak out about it You know what I mean? But it's really, you know, not a big deal
1: Well, here's the thing is if if people need to be aware of what choice they're making for their life, I have heard people tell me that they, they like want to be in the position I'm in. And I think to myself, you have no idea what that even fucking means. Cause like, yeah, we're doing well, but like the pressure of what if it goes away? Like what if we can't keep this up? Never going away. I don't recommend it for people. Yeah, And it's no different than the pressure I had when I was 22 and I had no connections in the music industry and no prospects. And I had no idea how I was going to ever go from being a guitar player in my parents' basement to any sort of career that kind of like black hole of a future. Like it's different. I know I have something going on now, but that fear and that pressure of like, this could all go away. Like I had to keep this going. Like I had to keep taking risks. Like if you don't want, that sort of feeling in your life don't try something like this and like you're saying like with what you're doing like you're getting in a van at the age of 40 like you're hyper obsessing about guitar stuff uh like and the life of an entrepreneur and artist there it's a double-edged sword you get to do something fulfilling but at the same time you're (laughs) perma-tortured and it doesn't matter How well you do or not, it's got nothing to do with, like, success or lack thereof. It's a mental condition that comes with deciding that you're going to create things that didn't exist before with your life. And if you're not okay with basically living a life of torture, (laughs) don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't.
0: I guess if you see someone out there that, like, is great at something don't assume it that it's ever because they're special because like yeah really nobody's no I don't I don't believe that anyone is special it's just you just like you care about something enough to where you end up making it happen yeah or getting good at something and and, and the process of getting good at something is usually not fun you know what I mean like like don't sit there and expect like any amount of prowess that anyone has that you find to be admirable. Like the process of getting there wasn't like something that was super enjoyable, you know, and, and it probably shouldn't be. No, try to understand where you're getting yourself into. Yeah. It's hard to dig up information about the band Metallica ever being in a rough spot. You know what I mean? Because by all outward appearances, they have just had this meteoric crazy up and stable trajectory but i was watching this interview with uh peter mensch who's like one of their longtime managers and yeah i mean you can say some certain things like by record two they had q prime they had the same dude who was managing them as def leppard and fucking acdc and i mean that's pretty crazy but he's talking about in this interview he's talking about he's like yeah i mean when i started working with metallica i had to clean up a lot of shit like there were guys who did artwork on the record who were getting points on the record they were all some some dude who did a t-shirt design was getting points like they'd made some decisions and it's you know he spent a few years cleaning up all this stuff and so I mean dude in addition to everything else you'll make mistakes too so just expect that and don't be afraid to make mistakes just just learn from them yeah
1: straight up well, I think it's a good place to end the episode on the positive note of make tons of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> make mistakes. Yeah, dude. It's been a pleasure, as always, catching up with you.
0: Yeah, big time. Good hanging out with you guys. Let's do it again soon. Oh, we will. For sure. Thanks for listening to the Riff Hard Podcast. We'll see you
1: next week.